welcome to the AOL podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message. Okie dokie. We're glad y'all are here tonight. Um, I'm glad you're here, especially you, JC. All right, well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Well, Father, we just come to you tonight. Father, we just thank you for the word. We thank you, Father, for the word, the way it imparts uh, knowledge to us, wisdom to us. We thank you for the way it imparts encouragement to us, life. Your word is life. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have opportunity tonight to to dive into your word and to uh, study it in this Bible school. And we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence here to strengthen us and to give us the, the truth that we need to know to, to uh, interpret for us, to show us the way, and to uh, j- we just know you're here, and you're here in, in every one of us. We thank you for the power that you impart to us, the knowledge that you impart to us. Father, so we worship you, we praise you, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for each person here tonight, Father, hungry for the word, hungry to hear and see, especially during these times that we live in, Father, to as we go into the word of, uh, of the book of Revelation and the things that pertain to that, Father, hope, uh, it shows us the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That as we read and read the, the last book of the word uh, of the Bible, we see that uh, God wins. And, Father, that uh, we have that hope that we can put our trust in forevermore for eternity. So, Father, we thank you for that word. We thank you that you're going to show us the way tonight. And uh, so, Father, as we read your word, Father, your word says, this is what your word says in the book of Revelation, that whoever reads this word will be blessed. And so, Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity to be blessed tonight and go forward from this time forward. So, Father, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We always hold up our Bible because that's what we, everything comes from in this place, and we make our declaration. So if you would, say it with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. I'm about to be taught from the everlasting and incorruptible Word of God, and I will never be the same again. Never, ever be the same again. Amen and amen. And I promise you, you won't be. Tonight, we're going to have a a, a lesson that's going to impart some wisdom and knowledge to you, maybe that you haven't seen before, but a lot of this comes from a, a message that I did a, a year and a half ago on, uh, I believe it was March the 22nd, but it, but this is a, I'm kind of, well, we'll just go jump right into it, and uh, we'll, explanations as we go along the way. So we're still in the book of Revelation. Remember, our, our theme is, our main thing we want to think about is, the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. And Jesus is the main thing. So everything that we say, do, or hear, or try to uh, act upon is based on Jesus. And that's what we'll see. The whole book of Revelation, the whole Bible, matter of fact, is based on Revelation. So thank God for that. Here's what we talked about last week. We completed the personal letters of Jesus to the seven churches. Did y'all like that? I mean, get anything out of that? It was good, wasn't it? Very good. I mean, not because of me, but because of the word and the things that he imparted to us, things that we learned from that. So this completes the second part of the instructions given to John by the Lord Jesus in chapter 1, verse 19, which says, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So we knew we've been through the things which you have seen. We saw that last a couple of lessons ago. And then the things which are, that's the things when he was given the seven letters to the churches. And now we're going to move forward into the things which will take place after this. Now these seven letters, the things that are, uh, in other words, in the present tense, capture the ageless and living message of commendation and condemnation, of warning and promises that Jesus gives to his church. They have rung true for 2,000 years and will continue to be true until this dispensation of grace, the church age, is fulfilled. And here's the question. When the roll is called up yonder, the big question is, will you be there? How many is going to be there? How many remember that song, when the roll is called up yonder? Every one of us probably ought to be able to sing that one by heart. You know, if you come from Baptist or Methodist or whatever background you might come from, you know, we sung that song nearly every Sunday. So anyway, it's a good song. When the roll is called up yonder. So the natural progression in this study would, of course, be to continue in consecutive order uh, with uh, 
the instructions given to John the Revelator, which says, write the things which you've seen and the things which are, and of course we would go into the things which will take place after this. And really this is what we're going to do tonight. But this, this lesson, I'm going to take a little bit longer of a rabbit trail. Where's the shotgun, huh? Not, not. Shoot that rabbit. We're going to do a little longer rabbit trail to explain a term which we have used a couple of times in previous lessons for two reasons. First, because our pastor has been preaching and teaching from the book of Daniel over the last several weeks in his uh, Mark series, and the terminology may have come up. <clears throat> and secondly, because an understanding of Daniel and his prophecies will help us to better understand the book of Revelation and the sequence of events unfolding as we move ahead in our study. The terminology I'm talking about is found in Daniel chapter 9 and is subtitled in my Bible. I have a New King James Version, and it's that, uh, that chapter is subtitled, The 70 Weeks Prophecy. We use, we've used the phrase, the 70th week of Daniel, a couple of times in this study before now, so a little further study into this will be helpful because we need Daniel to help interpret the Revelation. The prophet Daniel said more specific things about the end times than any other Old Testament prophet. The 70 weeks prophecy of chapter 9 is considered one of the most important and profound prophecies in all of Scripture. In this brief study, we'll do a quick overview of this prophetic passage. And we've got a specific passage in, in, chapter, 20, in chapter 9 with a goal to help us understand what, is reveal, what it's revealing to us, why the 70th week pertains to the end times, and how it relates to the book of Revelation. Daniel and Revelation are unequivocally connected. You can't, you can't interpret Revelation properly. It's very difficult, I will say. It's not impossible, I guess, but it's, and there's many interpretations of Revelation, so it's, but anyway, you can't <laughs> interpret Revelation without have a, having a pretty good working knowledge of uh, Daniel, and I'm so glad our pastor's going through that and so, and so many things in there in this Mark series. It helps, helps us understand. But there's so much in the book of Daniel that, that we're going to see, and we're going to go back and forth and see things in, in comparison, uh, how they fit into Revelation as we move forward. So the context of the 70 weeks prophecy Daniel was one of the several thousand Jews taken captive to Babylon between 605 and 582 B.C. after King Nebuchadnezzar Babylon of Babylon had sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. We've heard the stories uh, from the very start of, of the book of Daniel as, as pastors have been preaching, so we know a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. He was part of the mighty, Daniel was part of mighty men of valor, the skilled and the educated that were taken earlier in the war. So when the, when the Babylonians come in and sacked Jerusalem, they took the cream of the crop. In other words, they took the royalty, the mighty men, and all of that to start with as far as the people that they um, took to, back to uh, Babylon with them. So Daniel was probably a teenager when taken, along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, more commonly known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Daniel's Babylonian name was Belteshazzar. We've already seen that in pastor's message. By the time of the account in chapter 9, Daniel is probably 90-plus years old. By this time, he has lived through the reigns of the Babylonian rulers, Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar, and has interpreted dreams from both. You remember the dreams. One was the golden, the, the large image, you know, that had the head of gold, the arms of silver, the bronze chest, and all those things that the pastor went over. He also interpreted the of Belshazzar, uh, the, the handwriting on the wall, the handwriting on the wall, that was another one of the dreams he interpreted. He was considered one of the wisest men in the empire because of these dream interpretations. Now, at this time, at the time we're talking about in chapter 9, he is under the reign of Darius the Median. I say Darius, a lot of people say Darius, but I say Darius because I've been listening to you know, if y'all ever got on the Bible and you're listening to it going down the road and you have those different ones, interpretations, well, that's the way Simon Bub, whatever his name is, that's what he pronounces it, Darius. So it sounded pretty professional to me. So anyway, Darius the Median, that's who I'm, who I'm following suit on. Anyway, son of Ahasuerus of the Medes. This is the same Darius that had promoted Daniel to a high position in the kingdom and then had to cast him in the lion's den because of the ruthless jealousy and plot from other governors and satraps of the land. We've heard that, heard that word also. So this Daniel, in his later years, was reading in the book of Jeremiah and understood 
that the 70 years of servitude spoken of by the prophets, by the prophet, by this prophet, were almost over. In other words, 68 years have already passed, and there are only a couple of years left in that 70-year prophecy. Now, uh, this is what it says in Daniel 9, 2, we'll start into Daniel. In verse uh, 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books, talking about the book of, of Jeremiah, the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of, of Jerusalem. This was their time of, of, of captivity. And this is what he was reading in the book of Jeremiah. You find that in Jeremiah 25 in verses 11 through 12. This is what Daniel was reading. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it, then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that the nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So when he read this, he said this prompted uh, Daniel's prayer of confession and supplication on behalf of Israel and Jerusalem that we see in the beginning of chapter 9, starting with verse 1. And this and in this prayer time, and I, think, I encourage every one of you to read that, first that prayer uh, as it starts in verse 1. Read it all the way through because it's a very significant prayer. It actually could be even a prayer that we could pray for this nation, and we have prayed for this nation at uh, times of prayer. But he was interrupted by the angel Gabriel. And this is what it says in Daniel 9, the, the, uh, verses 20 through 23. It says, Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of, of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I have seen in vision at the beginning, and, and uh, that, was, that happened, you had to go back and read it, but you can see it back in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 16, if you want to write that down for uh, reading later. That was his first meeting with Gabriel to interpret the vision of the ram and the male goat. But anyway, that'll come into, into play when we get further along. But anyway... Uh, I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications or his prayers, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, Daniel would have been grateful had the angel merely confirmed that Jerusalem would be real, rebuilt Indeed, the angel did, not, did confirm that, and yet he said much more as he gave Daniel the remarkable 70 weeks prophecy found in Daniel uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We'll do that. And, when, and when, when he said Daniel would have been grateful that the angel merely confirmed that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, you've got to understand that there had already been a decree gone forward, and Ezra had been sent back to, uh, to uh, Jerusalem by, the, uh, uh, I believe it was Darius, uh, to start building, rebuilding the temple because he had requested him to rebuild uh, the house of God. So anyway, that's what he was referring to. I mean, he would have been glad to know that that was happening, but this Daniel gets a lot more than that. So we start in uh, verse 24 of, of Daniel number 9, or chapter 9. So I'm going to read it through, and we'll, we'll break it down here a little, little later. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and, and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, I'm reading out of the New King, King James Version. Some of your uh, inter other interpretations may be seven sevens and 62 sevens, depending on what the interpretation is or the translation. And then it says, The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. 
Now, if you read that passage and see all that right there, it'd be hard to just look at that and say exactly what does he what is he talking about. I mean, you can see where he says, until Messiah the Prince, most of us could probably pick out, and this is something about a prophetic uh, message about the Messiah. But some of this stuff is, is very hard to un- interpret. So we're going to break it down and so you'll understand and how it relates to Revelation. So as many of you already know, if you've studied this at all, there's no small amount of disagreement on how this prophecy should be understood. It is written in a very concise manner, which is by no means simple, so it must be approached and broken down and interpreted with great care. But I believe it can be understood and be very beneficial and necessary to the understanding of God's plan for Israel and the book of Revelation. How many of you know the, 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 the brunt or the, or the large portion of uh, the book of Revelation concerns, uh, a big portion of the Revelation concerns uh, God's dealing with Israel in the last time. So that's where, why it's very important. And it's very important to know, especially in times we're living in right now where Israel is the center, uh, in the center of all the news. So as we unfold the meaning of words and phrases, we will do our best to honor the text and the context to show as much historical context and proof as possible in a short study of this prophecy and others and to show and demonstrate the word, uh, the harmony of the end time, in the word, the harmony of end time prophecy with the whole of scripture. So like I said earlier, there are many, many interpretations of this particular passage among Christians and Jewish Old Testament scholars, but there are, I believe there are four basic points that a great number of them agree on with some minor variations. Number one is the 70 weeks. We'll get into the explanation of weeks here in just a minute, but the 70 weeks begins with a commandment made in the year 445 B.C. Now, there's variations of that. Some say 445, some say 444. Uh, we're not going to quibble over a year or two on that because it's it's... It's just not, I mean, we probably have a half a dozen different dates that could be set there. Uh, the 70 weeks are based upon a 360-day prophetical chronology reckoning of time. In other words, they're using, uh, basically it's using the Jewish calendar. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. And then the first 69 weeks have been fulfilled, fulfilled and the 70th week is yet to be fulfilled in the future. So... Uh, so the folk in the number four, the focus of this chapter nine prophecy is, like I said, national Israel and Jerusalem. So there is some other question. There, there are, there are a, uh, there are other questions that I've got another word in there that shouldn't be in there. Scratch some. There are other questions that need to be considered before we get into the prophecy of chapter nine itself for background information on how the people of Israel got to this point in the first place. Why did they? Why did they? God allow Nebuchadnezzar to attack and destroy Jerusalem and the temple and haul off thousands of them to exile in Babylon? The short answer to that goes back to the book of Le- Leviticus, where God gives them the detailed instructions on the walk, worship, and service of the re- redeemed people of God. In it is given the laws of sacrifice, of the sacrifices and offerings, the consecration of the priesthood, the full establishment of the tabernacle worship, uh, the holiness of God's people in soul, body, and spirit, the relationship of Israel to God, the feast of Jehovah, the record of God's dwelling in the tabernacle in the midst of his people, and the proper means of approach and fellowship with God. All that was found in the book of Leviticus. The entire book of Leviticus is permeated with the sanctity of God, the holiness of his character, and the necessity of the congregation to approach him in purity of heart and mind. God's specific instructions were violated by his people by failing to keep holiness in mind, by violating his commandments, especially going into idolatry many times during the various king's reigns and violating specifically the law of the Sabbath year and Jubilee. So let's look at the law, the prediction of rebellion, and the consequences of disobedience and rebellion. You remember, you know, David, up till David was probably a, the, proper, the best time when, when they stayed true to God. But when Solomon became king, his son, you remember he married into, he married a woman that uh, had idols, had, had uh, started, started him down the road of idolatry. And that's when the reins of the king started drifting away uh, in, into idolatry. You can track it back all the way to, to Solomon. You know, when you have, how many wives do you have? 300 and like 800 concubines? Oh, my goodness. You can imagine what kind of compromises he had to make sometime. But anyway, so let's go back to, to uh, uh, Leviticus and, and look at that quickly so we kind of know where we're coming from and why, why this is happening. So in Leviticus 25, 2 through 7, he's given these words to Moses. 
to write down. He says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, uh, this is all part of the law. When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord and of your harvest you shall not reap nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, for you uh, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts who are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. And it shall be, and you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourselves, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. So we're talking about 49 years. Is That's seven times seven equals 49. That's important. So then when you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee on the tenth day of the seventh month, seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year. So we've had... 49 years passed, now they're blowing the trumpet on the, on the, uh, on the Feast of Trumpets, the 10th day of the 7th month, uh, the, the day of, uh, that's when the Day of Atonement happens, but we're in the 50th year, and it says, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That 50 years, the 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap that grows on its own accord, nor, nor uh, what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to, the, to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. And you can read all of that in, uh, you can le read uh, Leviticus 25, 18 through 22 to see God's provision because what he says in that, basically he says, you know, you're thinking, okay, we, we've got the, year of jubilee you can't sow or anything like that but what god has already said in the in the 49th year and the 48th year i believe it says that your harvest will be double the amount in other words it will provide enough to where you won't have to worry about uh, your provision in the 50th year and plus you will have enough even to go through the 50th year and the start of the next jubilee cycle so god's provision is out there you know um the word jubilee just in case you want to know, uh, literally means the blast of a horn So uh, in Hebrew. And it's defined in Leviticus 25.9 as the sabbatical year after seven cycles of seven years, just like we read. The 50th year was to be a time of celebration and rejoicing for the Israelites. Ram's horn was blown on the 10th day of the seventh month to start the start of the 50th year of universal redemption. Listen to this now. The year of Jubilee involved a year of release from indebtedness. Everybody's debt was cleared. In all types of bondage, if you were a slave in the year of Jubilee, you become a free man. All prisoners and captives were set free. All slaves were released. All debts were forgiven. And all property was returned to its original owners. In addition, all labors was to cease for one year, and those bound by labor contracts were released from them. One of the benefits of the Jubilee was that both the land and the people were able to rest. See, God wanted people to have a rest. He wanted people after 50 years of work, and he wanted people to have a complete rest of not doing anything but enjoying, celebrating, and, uh, and uh, you know, all these freedoms. The ju Jubilee presents a beautiful picture of the New Testament theme of redemption and forgiveness. Christ is the Redeemer who came to set free those who are slaves and prisoners to sin. That's why it's so important. When we look at Christ, we see what he's done. And all these things, the, the Jubilee was just another type of Christ that we see in there. The debt of sin we owe to God was paid on the cross as Jesus died on our behalf. And we were forgiven the debt forever. We are no longer in bondage, no longer slaves to sin, have been, having been freed by Christ. And we, we can truly enter the rest God provides as we center, as we cease laboring to make ourselves acceptable to God by our own work. So we can't work. We didn't have to work for it. God provided for us. That's what we're doing. And if you think about it this way, Jesus is the jubilee what we're seeing here, Jesus is the jubilee manifested in the flesh. That ought to bring a good hallelujah right there forever from everybody, right? Hallelujah. I'm glad he is our jubilee. So, the, and so I told you we'd, there was a prediction of Israel's fa uh, failure uh, uh, early on, in, uh, spoken of in, in Moses in his last days. 
and when Ju- when Joshua was consecrated as the new leader. In Deuteronomy 31, uh, verses 14 through 18, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle meeting that I may inaugurate you, or him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And in 16 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers. And this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. See, he's like, he, God knows the end from the beginning, right? And so he says, your people, this, this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. And where they go to be among them, they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done in that they have turned to other gods. So we're talking about the idolatry. That, that's the second part of that. We already talked about they failed to keep the laws of the uh, Sabbaths, and then they went into idolatry just like he's predicting here. So here's the consequences of the rebellious people as written in Leviticus. Several verses here that tell us what the consequences are. In Leviticus 20, 26, uh, verses 27 through 28, He says, and after all this, if you do not obey me but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. There's a number seven. So that's very important. We We look in cycles of seven in the Bible. Seven times for your sins. Then the land shall enjoy, Leviticus 26, 34 through 35 says, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths, its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. That's talking about um, when they were carried away into Babylon. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. In other words, they violated that Sabbath rule, so there's going to be a consequence to that. In Second Chronicles 36, 20 through 21, probably authored by Ezra, Uh, Verse 20 says, And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia, to to fulfill the word of the Lord by by the mouth of Jeremiah, which said, Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, as long as she lay lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. There's that 70 years again, even before uh, Daniel's 70 years, or even before uh, Jeremiah. And then, so we see from these scriptures the reason they were in the predicament of exile. But if you continue to read further in Jeremiah, the prophet also includes the promise of hope for the immediate future for Israel. See, God, he may, he may punish you, but he's also, he's got a plan to, he, you know, it's just like we always say in Jeremiah 29, 11. That's one of our favorite verses we usually write around here. But anyway, here's 10 through 14 of, of 29. He, for, he says in 10, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts, or plans, as some uh, translations say, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, verse 12, we always say, we always pronounce that verse, but we we fail to see what it says. Sometimes we need to learn these others too, because it says, right, then you will call upon me, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me, and when you, when you search for me with all your heart. And verse 14 says, And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. You know, every one of us have been in bondage or in some sort of captivity at some time, but you know, God's got a plan for us, and if we'll just seek him, He'll listen to us, we'll find him, and he'll bring us back from that captivity. Isn't that a great promise to all of us? And that is what the whole message of Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is, a message of hope for the immediate future of Israel, as well as the future of Israel in the end times. And we'll get to all that very soon. Another issue to address is one that is found in the first verse of this chapter 9 passage. Seventy weeks have been determined for your people in your holy city. That's 
you know, we need to figure out where that comes from. So where we see the word weeks in this passage, we must remember that, in, that this is an English translation uh, from Hebrew. And that meaning, and that uh, meanings don't always translate perfect, uh, perfectly. While the English word week always means a period of seven days, the Hebrew word is actually less specific because it only means a period of seven. Some translations uh, address this difference in, um, in meaning by using the word sevens instead of weeks. So that's why you might see in some translations that 70 times, or seven times seven, or, in, or seven sevens instead of seven weeks. The majority of theologians, both Christian and Jewish, believe that the word weeks or sevens used here should be understood as periods of seven years. While this may seem odd to most English speakers, it isn't unusual in the biblical context because Israel observes cycles of seven years as well as cycles of seven days. Lots of scripture right there you can look at and uh, verify that. Uh, you can own your free time when you want to read the, do a little bit more Bible study in that regard. I encourage you to do that. Furthermore, in this particular prophetic context, uh, most believe these years have been understood as biblical years. When we say a biblical year, this refers to a year that is exactly 360 days, and so equivalently, uh, the 12 biblical months each has exactly 30 days. That's not actually true. Some of them have 29, some of them 30. But anyway, the 360-day year is preferred as, as in order to be consistent with other related pro prophecies that refer to a specific number of days, months, or years. The calendar would be referred to as a prophetic calendar or the prophetic chronology. Now, in the Jewish calendar, and we'll see that a little bit more uh, later on when we ex expand on that just a little bit, but actually, most of the time, the Jewish year was 354 days, but after after two and a half or three years, they added another month to catch up. It's called a, a leap year or a leap month. Not a, it was a leap year, but it's actually a whole month added. Uh, it will explain that a little bit more later. So this is how, we're, when we're talking about the 70 weeks, this is how it breaks down in years in that passage that we're fixing to read. There's one where it says seven weeks, which would be interpreted using that, um, that uh, um, process that we just talked about. Seven weeks is 49-year period of time where the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was given. It would take 49 years to accomplish this beginning in 445 B.C. We'll see that here in just a second. Uh, 62 weeks from the end point on rebuilding of the walls until Messiah was to be revealed. It would be 62 weeks or 434 years. And then one week, the last week, the 70th week, uh, this seven-year period is yet to be fulfilled because God stopped the time clock for Israel when they rejected their Messiah and it went to the cross. And we'll see, explain that here in a minute, what I mean by stopping the time clock. But if you look at that and you say seven weeks plus 62 weeks plus one week, you don't have to be too much of a math genius to figure out that adds up to 70. So when we talk about seven times 70, 70 weeks, 70 weeks, 70 times 7, that's 490 years. That's the time frame we're talking about that God's going to deal, uh, that we're talking about in this passage. So let's start in this passage, and I'm gonna, I've got it. I wanna, I'm just going to read through it. And, and, and uh, this is the same passage we read earlier, but I've got an explanation there uh, highlighted and a little bit of an explanation so you'll understand what we're talking about. I know this this seems very detailed and and uh, uh, a lot of a lot of detail maybe you'll never use, but it's it's important for you to understand what it's talking about and what it's leading up to as far as in, interpreting helping to interpret uh, the book of Revelation. So where it says in verse twenty four we'll start there it says seventy weeks are determined. In other words, God divided or cut off or separated or decreed that this is God's plan, these 70 weeks, this 490 years. The next, says, the next line says, for your people and for your holy city. That's why it's coming down to specifically talking about Israel and Jerusalem, your people, which would be the Israelites or the Jews, and the city, the holy city of Jerusalem. And these are the things that were, the, are determined for your people. This is the th six things here that are going to be accomplished in that 490 years. Number one, to finish transgression. We're talking about Israel. Uh, number two, to make an end of sins. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. And you can read more about that in Zechariah 12, verse 9 through 13. Through, uh, 13 1. Uh, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. 
accomplished by Jesus, partially at the first coming and then in fullness at his second coming. And actually, all six of these items were partially completed by Jesus and will be completely um, uh, completed by him in the, in the fulfillment when he comes back in his second coming. Not the rapture, but his second coming. And number five, to seal up vision and prophecy. In other words, uh, there won't be any reason for vision and prophecy whenever that, that, that second coming happens because by that time, everything will have been fulfilled uh, except our going into the millennium and, uh, and what happens after that. And so, uh, but, but that's going to be laid out by Jesus himself. And number six, and to anoint the most holy, which we're talking about here is to sanctify the temple, meaning the, the millennial temple that will take place. There's going to be a temple during the seven-year tribulation period, but that's going to be the new temple, the third temple, and it's going to be the one, well, we'll see later on, it's, the one, it's going to be the one where there was the abomination of desolation. But So verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand, that from the going forth of the command, now I told you there were several commands issued, but the going forth of the command that's important here is the one that uh, Nehemiah received by King Artaxerxes about 445 B.C. That was, And you can go find that in, in Nehemiah 2, uh, verses 1 through 8. You can read that uh, on your own, but it's, and it's very specific, and it talks about what he's going to do. Uh, but anyway, I, and I told you earlier that uh, Ezra had a, already had a degree before that to go build the house of God. This one is telling him to restore and rebuild uh, Jerusalem. So this was an answer to Daniel's prayer in, in verses 16 and 19. Until So God's time clock started from the issuing of that uh, going forth of the command. That's when the 490 years started of 445 B.C. Very important. To restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince uh, that's Jesus, and, and we're talking about, when we say Messiah the Prince, of course, that points directly to Jesus. Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem, you can see that in Luke 19, 29 through 40. This, uh, the reason I say that this is pointing to him as Messiah the Prince is because this is the first time that Jesus was presented as king. Uh, you know, that was when they, when they sang Hosanna in the highest to him, and they throw down their cloaks and the, and the, and the branches... Um, for him to ride, and he rode in on the donkey uh, the week of the Passover. And then he, so that says, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Um, 49 years plus 34, 434 years equals 483 years. So what he's saying is from here, from the, from the going forth of the command in Nehemiah in 445 B.C., 483 years later, that's when Jesus rode in uh, to the, to the, uh, he made his triumphal entry into Ju Jerusalem. So the streets shall be, so I, that's the time period we're talking about right there. And the streets shall be built again and the wall. Now we're back, we're, we're, we're going backwards again uh, into what uh, Nehemiah was doing. And he was, he was, he was saying there's going to be 483 years uh, till Messiah the Prince is revealed. But then in, in the meantime, we're back, said the street shall be built again and the wall. So, like I said earlier, returns were to rebuild the temple, the house of God. Uh, you can see that in Ezra uh, 1, uh, verses 2 and 4, even in troublesome times. So, uh, Nehemiah is building, he's going to re restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and he's going to build the wall and uh, the streets, even in troublesome times. Nehemiah experienced resistance from Sanballat, uh, Tobiah, and others, but this may not be limited to to just this 49 years, still the Greeks and Romans to come. So all during this time, even after the Medes, uh, even after uh, Darius in his kingdom, then the Greeks and the Romans had to come in. So we're not talking. It's, it's 49 years. It's what it says it took to, to rebuild the streets and walls. Uh, that's what history tells us. Here's another very important passage on number uh, 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 verse 26. And it says, after the sixth, after the 62 weeks, so we've already had 49 weeks, which is seven, that was the first uh, seven weeks, that's 49 years, and then after the, the 62 weeks, the 434 years that lead up to Christ's entry in Jerusalem, the Passover week, it says, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. In other words, when Jesus made, remember that, he, he come in on that, that week, and then by, by, um, Wednesday or Thursday, however you want to 
put it that week, went up with the day of Passover. That's when he was crucified uh, during Passover week. That's where it says when Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. See, Gabriel is showing Daniel these things that are going to happen, and it's kind of like a back-and-forth flashback, uh, move forward a little bit, come back to another one. And that's why it's even very hard for, I'm sure Daniel probably didn't understand it as much as, uh, as he would have liked to, but that's where we're, we're seeing it broke down because we have the whole Bible to interpret all of this now and to go back and look. We have all of history uh, to go back and look. But Messiah was cut off, but not for himself. That happened around A.D. 30 to 32, somewhere in there. Jesus rejected, was rejected and crucified, and he said he, has, he would have nothing and refers to all that he gave up. We, we talked about that once in Philippians 2, 5, 8, through, uh, 5 through 8. Uh, that he emptied himself of his, of his uh, uh, being equal to God uh, so he could be in the earth, on earth as a, as a full human. We talked about that back when we were uh, talking about uh, defending the faith. Or, and you can go back and read that too. But, but he had nothing because the Jewish people rejected him or that his office of Messiah amongst his people ceases. In other words, if you go back and read Isaiah 53, uh, verse 8, the latter part of that says, Isaiah predicted this too. He says, For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. So Isaiah was already told. You read, read all of Isaiah 53. I encourage you because it talks all about Jesus and the Messiah. And then the next part of that verse says, And the people of the prince, the people of the prince who is to come. So it, we're talking about it's the people of the Antichrist type. Back then when we're talking, we're talking about the people of the of the prince to come. That's that's after Jesus was uh, crucified. What happened? Well, forty years took place. Uh, Rome was still over uh, Israel. A rebellion occurred, and they come in, and so it's the people of the Antichrist type, the Roman emperor. But it's also this passage is also saying the people of the prince who is to come is also prophetically pointing to the new world order that, as Pastor was preaching about, led by the. Antichrist or the beast of Revelation 13 of the revival of the revived Roman Empire. And all this is coming when we get into further into, into Revelation. So there's a lot to cover. There's so much detail in, in here, but, there's, but, but we'll end up with a better knowledge of Revelation when we get through, I promise you. So the, saying the prince of the people who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, uh, the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and the end of it shall be with a flood. So what that means is a catastrophic, overflowing deluge. In other words, a flood, when it comes in, it wipes everything out. It's not a, it doesn't pick and choose who it's going to wipe out. It wipes everything out. So it was so overwhelming when the Roman soldiers come in in 70 A.D. They destroyed everything. They destroyed the temple. Um, and, of course, possibly, possibly the flood could be a metaphor intended as an allusion to the flood of Noah's day, which came as an act of God's judgment. So... Uh, it, it probably was an act of God's judgment because they rec rejected the king 40 years later, and 40 represents a time of testing. Uh, so that's what we're seeing here. The full temple was destroyed. You remember the passage when, when Jesus, uh, I think they, they were going through and they were looking at the temple, and Jesus, or one of the, uh, I think one of the people that was with him said, uh, look at this temple. This was the temple that Herod had built, made of great... Uh, blocks of marble and things like that and have you ever they said have you ever seen anything so glorious and so remarkable and it was a beautiful temple they say is one of the it was even more magnificent than the first one um but the but the temple was destroyed and jesus said uh, i tell you in three he said he said uh, this you see how beautiful this temple is i'll tell you this temple will be uh destroyed in three days it will be raised again you know they was of course he was referring to himself but they thought he was talking about the temple, and they said, how in the world could this temple be destroyed? Well, that temple was where he said the temple would be destroyed where there would not be another rock or another uh, brick laying upon each other. In other words, it would be completely flattened. If you remember when we talked about uh, one of the Bible schools, I can't remember which one, uh, and jo uh, Josephus wrote of this, but he, he said that's a true fact. He was witness uh, to the destruction of the temple. He was a, a Jewish uh, man that wrote a lot of history about uh, about uh, the destruction and, and the time of, of uh, Israel at that time. But he said the destruction was so complete 
And the reason they said no, when Jesus said this, he said no, no stone would be left upon each other because you remember when the temple was built, a lot of the interior of the temple, a lot of the, the woodwork and things like that were overlaid with gold. And so there was so much, uh, so much treasure in there that when they burned the temple and everything burned, of course the gold melted and went down in between the cracks of the, of the, of the, of the marble uh, blocks and things like that. So people trying to find that gold, they were moving marble rocks around trying to find the gold that was melted in between them. So when he said no rock would be upon each other, not, no, no stone would be on top of each other, that truly happened, and that's, that was the reason. They said people were so uh, trying to find the treasure of that melted gold that they, they took it down to, to, uh, uh, to, the, to the, where there was no, uh, every, every rock was, every uh, marble block was moved at that time and and then of course over the history of time or the uh, over the history uh since then those blocks have been moved multiple times and and so there's not much of that left except the western wall that we uh, hear so much about that's the only thing that's left uh, that was a supporting wall so anyway that's just a little side note another little rabbit trail on the rabbit trail there so uh so we're down to uh uh where we're, we're talking about the, and the end of it shall be a lot with a flood. So that's just a, that is an explanation of how destructive the, the destruction of, of, um, of um, the divine judgment was on the temple and Jerusalem at that time. So, and it's, so next passage, until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Notice it says desolations, so it, it means plural. Uh, meaning that there was more than once that there would be a desolations. But uh, most scholars think it could possibly be referenced to the desolations to come in the last week. Uh, but there was also a desolation when, when uh, I believe it was uh, the Greek uh, conqueror uh, Antiochus Epiphanes set himself up in the, in the temple when it was being rebuilt again later. Uh, that was before this temple was built, when it was in, under construction, before he set himself up as the first one to cl claim the uh, abomination of desolation. But that happened during the, during the time of uh, Greek uh, rule. But, but anyway, it's probably pointing to the desolations to come in the last week. And that means the last week of time we're talking about for the Jews. And so also, and so also the Jews were dispersed uh, during this time, A.D. 70, and that's when, the, and through that time, uh, from the time of, of uh, like we talked about earlier, the dispensation of gre uh, grace started uh, when Jesus uh, rose again, and uh, and the the time clock stopped for Jerusalem or for Israel on that very week. So he's so now we're back to 27, verse 27, and this is another another uh, hard one to interpret, but it, but it also goes. It, it's kind of a it's a dual purpose. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So this is where we say that the Antichrist, when he comes in, he refers to the Antichrist. And it, this, this is the beginning of the 70th week. In other words, we've already got, we've already got 483 uh, weeks com uh, completed. Uh, 400, uh, yeah, 483 years completed. We got seven years yet to complete, which will be the the final week, the seventieth week, and that's the beginning of the tribu tribulation. And we'll see that as we get into Revelation chapters six through nineteen. So here, this is, we're talking about the Antichrist here when he says he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. He's going to be the one after the rapture of the church, uh, as we believe the rapture of the church will happen. The Antichrist will be revealed at that time. He will be the one to make great peace uh, across the world, and he'll set himself up. At the, he'll probably be the world, uh, the new world order. He'll probably be the ruler of the world at the time, and he's going to make peace, and that's when he's going to set, set up that covenant uh, with the Jew, Jewish people for one week. One week meaning a seven-year covenant. Uh, this refers to the Antichrist, like I said. But in the middle of the week, mid-tribulation, 42 months, the covenant is broken by the Antichrist, and the great tribulation begins. Normally, and when we're talking about the tribulation, it's a seven-year period of time. It starts, like I said, when the rapture occurs. That's when the, the uh, tribulation will start to play out. The first three and a half years of the tribulation won't be as bad 
as the second three and a half years because the treaty treaty will be broken the 42 months and that's when all hell will break loose basically uh and, and so the the uh, first three and a half years is usually called the minor tribulation but that's where the the great tribulation is the, the last 42 months uh as referred and we'll get into that as we as we go along but this this is just going to should help us to see and we'll be referring back and forth to this many times as we go through the book of revelation uh continued so he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and so so he's the the antichrist has confirmed a covenant and so as we've talked about as pastor has talked about many times they're ready to build a temple right now uh as soon as they are, allow that to happen you know they've got the the uh, uh, Muslim uh, Dome of the Rock in there now, and Muslims won't allow them uh, to build a temple, although there is space to happen. That will happen, I believe, after the rapture. The temple will be built, and then the Jews, Jews will once again uh, start their system of uh, sacrifice and offering because they'll have the temple. One of the things that they, uh, he talks about is you've heard him talk about there's red heifers that are available to go over there, the red heifer signifies a method of, of, of cleansing and uh, sanctifying and consecrating the temple, and that's why they need to have the red heifer. You can read that passage. I wrote it down someplace, but I can't remember uh, uh, where, I read, uh, where I put that. I had a, a verse here. Maybe I've got it somewhere else down here somewhere. But anyway, look it up. Uh, you, can, you can find it, uh, and it talks about how they, how they will, uh, and, and the red heifer actually becomes another uh, type of, of Jesus Christ as we look at that because of the way he's looked at. But anyway, he, you know, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. That's what's going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation. The Antichrist, uh, he's, this infers the existence of the temple and reestablishment of the sacrificial system, which will be an act of aggression against Israel. So he's talk, taken away their ability to sacrifice and offering. And so on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. So the Antichrist, he's, he's going to set himself up in the Holy of Holies. The overspreading of abominations means it's going to be so bad that it's, it's, you know, that's where it's really going to get bad for the people of Israel. The wings of abomination could also refer to a demonic winged creature or to the winged eagle standard of the Roman Empire if it's revived and it goes forward like that. And then finally, even until the consummation, which is, dis, which is determined. In other words, it's already set. The consummation is at the, at the end of the seven years. That's the second advent or, or coming of Jesus with the saints. And that's the one where he'll be visible to all. See, at the rapture, the saints will go to be with Jesus, enjoy the marriage supper of the land, lamb, uh, uh, enjoy the bema seat of judgment where the rewards will be given out. And then at the end, the second advent or coming of Jesus with the saints, that's what will happen at the end of the tribulation visible for all to see and that'll be the fulfillment of God's revealed plan on the earth and that so even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate in other words he's talking about the antichrist or the desolator uh, he will be destroyed and you can if you want to go back you want to go forward and read what happens to the antichrist re read it in revelation 19 11 through 21 the beast the false prophet and Satan himself are cast into the lake of fire. So you can read that. So I, I know that was a lot, and probably what you need to do is go back and if you want to take time to study it and look at that to kind of absorb it a little bit because going through this and hearing me say it is, you know, you need to kind of sit and meditate on it because some, sometimes it, it does, you don't get it the first time. And I've read, I read it and see something different every time I read it. But it, that's going to help us as we go back and we come back to some of these things and refer to it but we're seeing a multiple uh, fulfillment. We're seeing the fulfillment happen during Jesus' time. We're going to see fulfillment happen during the, the, during the time of, of uh, tribulation uh, after the rapture of the church. And of course, the rapture of the church is a mystery that hasn't been revealed yet. Uh, that's, that'll happen in the, in the letters, and we'll, we'll see more of that. Matter of fact, we'll see some of that as we go into uh, chapter 4 in the next Bible school study, uh, lesson that we do in a couple of weeks. So, so the last week, the seven years, is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30, uh, verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. See, 
we call it Jacob's trouble because when when we're when when we talk when the, when the Bible refers to Jacob, he's referring to Jacob because Jacob was the father of all the twelve. Uh, the 12 sons that become the tribes of Israel, right? And so usually when we're talking about Jacob, we're talking about the represents the flesh. When we talk about Israel, we're representing the spiritual, but not every time. But anyway, there, there is a time, and that time, that whole tribulation period of time will be considered the time of Jacob's trouble, especially the last three and a half years. And so as we close, uh, 69 weeks have been completed, one week left to be completed. When will the clock for Israel start again? That's the thing we're looking at. So uh, I've, I've got a couple of charts in here that just kind of gives you a timeline of what we've been talking about, the 70 weeks, the 490 years. You can look at that on your own time, and you can see some of the references there uh, to different things. Then we, as we skip down to the next paragraph, there's a little bit more about the length of a year in terms of biblical accounting is different than the present uh, Gregorian system. See, we're... We're on the Gregorian system, which, you know, our months are either 28 days for February and then every other one is 30 or 31 days, which equals into. So the biblical system, was a, they were based on a lunar system or the time of the moon rotating, while the Gregorian is, is solar. Hence, a month has 29 days and 30 days every other month. Or for for uh, the Jewish calendar, it's, it becomes 254 days. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, I got a, a note. Let me just read this. It's just so helpful. So the they added, I told you they added like a added a non-biblical extra month. In other words, this month wasn't biblical, but they added this and made it a, in order to equal it out uh, to the same time frame as uh, a 360-day because theirs was 354 days, and then after several years, you know, you'd be a whole month behind. So they had what they called, they added a month called the month Adar 1. It's an added month in the Jewish leap year. Uh, it's called the pregnant year. The Jewish leap year, which occurs seven times in a 19-year cycle, has 13 months, so that the lunar-based Jewish year, which is 354 days, should remain aligned with the solar year, 365 days, and the seasons. It's important to keep the calendars aligned in order for the festivals to retain their positive rel uh, positions relative to the seasons as described or prescribed by the Torah. Uh, so anyway, it's the, I just throw that out. There is an extra month added, like in 19 years, you'll add it uh, seven times. So uh, that, that next chart is, so it, anyway, it says when we observe, we can observe from Genesis 7 through 8 that the, month, that the flood continued for five months or 150 days. So that means there was a hundred. There was they were talking about thirty days in a month, and a day was twenty-four hours in, in Daniel's day, as in our day. By using days instead of years, we can reconcile the two methods. In other words, what that's showing is by the Jewish calendar and by the Gregorian calendar, they're they're talking about the four hundred ninety years that we're talking about, or the four hundred eighty-three years that have occurred. See, it's four hundred eighty-three years have occurred. There's seven years yet to occur, and that will happen at the beginning of the tribulation equaling that 490 years that God is dealing with his people, Israel. But you can look at those two different things right there, and you can see even with either calendar you use, whether you use the Gregorian calendar or the Jewish calendar, it still equals up to 173,880 days. That's how precise uh, the prediction was or the prophecy was. It comes right down to the day when Jesus was crucified in that time frame. And they're using uh, 444 B.C., uh, I think but the, there's calculations in there that show it, could, it would work out either way. So yet to be fulfilled, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation, completes God's plan for Israel. Through this plan, God keeps his promise to his chosen, but it would be a, at a great cost due to their rejection of him at the first advent or the coming of Jesus. Remember, they, eject, they, they rejected him, and he was crucified. Jeremiah 30, 11 says this, For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. You know, God was always with his people, always loved his people, and always wanted to bring them back into his fold. And But they rebelled against him, they, they resisted him, and they, they sinned against him, and he had to punish them. Because you know, how many of you know God is a God of justice, if nothing else? And said, For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. In other words, there's always going to be a remnant of Israel on the earth. 
but I will correct you in justice, and I will not let you go altogether unpunished. And we can see that. And if you want to write these down, uh, you can write several verses that you can read to support that, but you can write down Zechariah 12, uh, read that whole chapter, or you can read, uh, you can write down Isaiah 59, 20. Have I ever told you when somebody is talking and giving you a, a scripture to, to write down, always write the number down first and you can remember the name later because it's easier to write the number down and you can, instead of trying to write Isaiah and then 5920. So when I say Isaiah 5920, write 5920 first and then write Isaiah. So that's just something to help you remember because sometimes you forget the numbers. Anyway, in Romans 1126, you can also write that down and see what Paul had to say about uh, Israel. So that's why we need to keep praying for the nation of Israel, even after the church is caught away, they still must endure seven years of, of the wrath of God upon the earth. Even after the rapture, Israel will still be around, and they'll still be going through the seven years of wrath of God upon the earth. That's what we believe. Now, there's a lot of people that believe different, that believe the rapture will occur mid-tribulation, the rapture will occur at the end of the tribulation, but we're a church that I believe most of us in this church believe we're a pre-tribulation pre-millennial belief system where the rapture will occur before the tribulation. Tribulation will occur before the millennium and those kind of things. And then we're living in the age of grace or the church, the church age. Psalm 122.6, always remember this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. You know, I, I read about that and we're talking about 490 years that God will deal with his people. You know, God is a, a God of grace and mercy. And I, I wrote this passage down because uh, I always think about this when I'm talking about 490. But it says in Matthew 18, uh, verses 21 through 22, I know you all remember this. And it says in that passage, and this is when Peter came to him and asked him, said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And this is what Jesus said to him. He said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. I always think that he's referring back to that when he's talking about that. He's going to, Israel will be forgiven. All Israel will be saved at that time that are believers at the end of that 490 years. And so I always think that that's also must be pointing back uh, to that time. So was that complicated enough for you? <laughs> I know, I know, but I think it's something we, we need to understand because when we're talking about the book of Revelation, where we're talking about what's going to happen next, and we're talking about the things that are, uh, that are uh, the, the question that we're having, the things which will take place after this, we're talking about seven years, all of these other things, chapters 4 through 19 will ha occur during that seven years, and so I, I believe you needed to understand where that 70th week of Daniel and why it's referred to, the seven years of tribulation is also referred to as the 70th week of Daniel, so now you You'll know. You may not totally still understand it, but you'll know where that come from. Okay? All right. I know y'all are smart. You're going to get it, and uh, you've already got it. So, I mean, go back and read it again uh, if you want to or if you have an understanding. But that's the reason I wrote it all out like that where you could understand it. And, uh, and then uh, if you have questions, uh, we, can, we can try to answer those later. But I, I think it will be important to our continuing of the study. So... All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the word tonight. Father, I know it's, it's, it's a kind of a complicated word tonight, but I pray, Father, that you'll open up our eyes of understanding, that you'll uh, help us to understand and, and realize that really what we're, what we're looking forward to in, in, our, in our hearts and in our, in our souls is that time when, when you come to get the church and we're raptured away. And I know it doesn't concern us the last seven years, but, Father, we need to always keep in mind to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to pray that those people, even now, we pray that a lot, uh, uh, many of them will come to know you as Lord and Savior even before that time, and many Jews will be raptured at the same time. Many people will become believers. So we pray for that to happen, Lord. We thank you that you give us this word. You give us the grace and, at the time of grace and mercy to, uh, to be able to share the word with other people so people won't have to go through that because we know it will be the worst time in the history of earth to go through that time. So, Father, we thank you for it. You, 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 tell, you show us these things to prepare us and not to scare us, but also to help us to understand that time is short and that we should be actually sharing Jesus with every opportunity we have. 
Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for blessing us during this time because we've read your word and we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come back the next time. I promise it won't be such complicated. Uh, and that'll be in a couple of weeks. We'll, we'll start into... Uh... Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app and to choose Arena of Life as your church. And a special thanks to those who make a difference by giving generously. You help us change lives and produce weekly content like this that reaches the world. If you're interested in partnering with us, you can give by clicking the link in our bio through the website arenaoflifechurch.org or through the Church Center app. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.